I imagine that most of us have wished someone well already today. Probably, or at least possibly, some form of Happy New Year. But what do we actually mean when we say that? Anyone says that to us. You've said it perhaps to some of your neighbours as you left for church this morning, the, the, the dog walkers and the people who are uh, rolling past outside. Happy New Year. What do we actually mean? Perhaps you say something when you uh, say farewell to someone or when uh, you, you sign off on your emails or your letters. All the best. Maybe uh, it's, uh, there's a lovely greeting that they use uh, amongst or a, a, a wish that they, they offer when you leave friends in Northern Ireland. Safe home, they say. And when you get back, you can send a message. I am indeed safe home. Even sometimes when we use God's name, it can be thoughtless and careless. God bless. Do you mean that? Is that what you really want for people? A lot of those phrases that we use are light and casual. They're popular and we use them in a popular sense. We don't necessarily think a great deal about what it is that we're saying. I'm not saying it's insincere. I'm not saying that it's hypocritical, but it's not particularly substantial. So what is what are the blessings that we might wish upon one another, in particular, if we belong to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ? What is the highest desire that you can have for one another as we leave one year behind and enter into another? What's the sweetest spiritual commodity that you can wish upon someone in this and coming days? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all, says the Apostle in Romans chapter 16 and verse 24. Now Paul likes that phrase. I don't think that's a shock to anybody. You can go back to verse 20. The God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. You can turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. You'll find the same phrase there again, verse 23. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. You can keep going to Philippians chapter 4. And at the end of that letter, verse 23, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And then you can turn on again to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 18, where you find once again, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And if we had time and inclination, we could look at 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14, Galatians 6, 18, 1 Thessalonians 5, 28, 2 Timothy 4, 22, and Philemon, verse 25, where there's a variation of that wish to churches and to individuals. So it's almost spiritually instinctive in the Apostle Paul when he comes to the end of so many of these letters when he's thinking about his hopes and desires and prayers for God's people to conclude in this way the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all be with your spirit amen what then is the blessing that is desired who are the beneficiaries identified who's going to receive this blessing 
What are the benefits that are expected when the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is with us all? What then is this blessing? To seek the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, to, to call down from heaven, as it were, that favour. Well, this is free favour to undeserving people from God that is in and by and with and through Jesus Christ. This is divine goodness poured out upon those who could never begin to deserve it and whose entitlement to it is only in Jesus Christ. He is the golden channel through which the heavenly blessings are poured down. And Paul wants this grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice that beautiful language, our Lord Jesus Christ. His grace, the grace that belongs to him who now belongs to us, or the grace that belongs to him and comes to those who belong to him, who are in this covenant relationship with him, who have put their trust in him. What is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ? My friends, there was grace at the coming of Jesus Christ, the incarnation. Don't forget that too quickly. One of the things that I find, I, I love the incarnation. I, I preach the incarnation any time of the year. One of the frustrations I have with Christmas is that people think of it once and then they leave it behind. Brothers and sisters, never cease to marvel at this, that God became man. That we have Emmanuel, God with us. That is a grace beyond comprehension. And in him, in his being now, in that uh, two natures in one person, God and man. Remember what the Apostle John described him as, full of grace and truth. In his very identity then, as the Messiah, the God-man, in his coming there is grace drawing near to us, entering into this world in our behalf. In his very identity, the one person, the two natures, we see one who is full of grace and truth. No one can see the Father at any time, but this one, this is the one who declares God to us. This is the one who shows God's favour to us, who makes it known. There's grace in his serving. The purchase of his obedience. That's what we have. Why has grace been poured out upon us? Not because Christ had to persuade his father, but it was by his life of righteousness that he laying down his life, he giving of himself. And, and by laying down his life there, I'm not yet talking about the crucifixion. I perhaps I should say laying out of his life. The service that he rendered the perfect righteousness which is revealed. And all of that, my friends, so that you might be accepted in the beloved, that you might be beloved of God, that he might embrace you just as he embraces Jesus Christ. And then there is grace in his dying. The atonement, the sacrifice of the God-man, the Lamb of God, spotless, blameless, unmarked in any degree or way by the stain and taint of sin. And by his blood, we are cleansed. 
If you're a Christian, you stand washed clean in the eyes of God this morning. There is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus because the condemnation has fallen upon him that it might not fall upon you. He has taken away the curse, having become a curse for us. My friends, in the life that he lived and in the life that he laid down, there is a grace beyond calculation. Then there's grace in his rising. The first fruits from among the dead. There's a testimony there. He is declared to be the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. And as one who is rising and is risen for us, risen for our justification, we are the recipients of the grace that is displayed and secured and bestowed through him who cannot be held by death. Grace in his ascending. You remember as he went up, he had his hands stretched out, representing his priestly office. As he went up, he poured blessings down. The greatest and the first of them was the gift of the Holy Spirit. On Pentecost, transforming God's people from 120 people cowering in an upper room. When the Holy Spirit comes upon them, they begin to preach and to teach. There's grace in his reigning. What is he doing now? He is ruling till his enemies are made his footstool. And he's ruling for you and for me. We are seated with him now in the heavenly places, joined to him by the faith which he has given to us through his spirit. We belong in his kingdom. We are under his government. We are the objects of his care. This world is under his rule and it is under his rule for you and for me. Is that not astounding? Is that not gracious? That the whole world is governed with the ultimate blessing of God's people in view to the praise of the glory of his grace. And there's grace in his interceding. What's the time? It's 20 to 12. So far this year, the Lord Jesus has been praying for you, Christian, for 11 hours, 39 minutes, 25, 26, 27 seconds. Is that not astounding to you? that your saviour who laid down his life for you and has risen again on your behalf ever lives to make intercession for you untiringly without weariness without distraction without any drop in his fervour in his intensity with never a word wrong never a thought misplaced never a wandering notion that the Christ of heaven is praying for us have you considered the grace that there is in his loving you what is there in you to make you worthy of that love let's go back a step what grace is there in you to make you worthy of any love now what about that love the love that lays down its life 
for us. That's God's free favour in Christ Jesus. What about his giving? He's given you life and breath and all things, even as creatures. He's given you himself as your saviour. He's given you gifts with which to serve him. He's given you vigour of mind and of body. You might say, well, not as much as I might like. How much do you deserve? All that you have is from him. There's no boasting for us, brothers and sisters. We deserve to be in hell by nature. And yet here we are in the presence of God, worshipping him as those who have received gifts among men. He's given gifts to his church. Look around you. There they are. We are God's gifts to one another. He's given preachers and teachers. He's given gifts and capacities. He's given new instincts and desires that we might magnify him together. He's given you the love with which you love him and one another. There's grace in his sustaining. Why are you a Christian this morning? It is because of God's grace in Jesus Christ. Now we know that if he has loved us, he will never forsake us. We know that no one is able to snatch us out of his hand. But the image there is not of of God sort of holding us and then putting us on a shelf. It's God holding us and keeping us. You were not once in his hand and now in some kind of store cupboard that no one can break into. You're in the hand of God. You're in the hand of Jesus Christ. The pierced hands of the Lord Jesus are around you. They are the hands that dispense God's good things towards you. You have been kept, believer, kept from falling, kept though sometimes stumbling, kept through all your weaknesses and fears and doubts and follies and sins over this year by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace in equipping us. Why do we do the things that we do? How do we do the things that we do? How do you serve Christ? Why do you serve God? It is because Christ has bestowed these mercies upon you. Grace in guiding. How have you known what to do next? One of the pieces of advice, I, I, you, probably half of you have heard me say this over the course of the last 12 months, do the next right thing. How do I know what the next right thing is? You search the scriptures. You call upon God for illumination by his gracious spirit. You seek to understand what his intentions and desires are revealed in his word. And by the the, the testimony of the saints and the, uh, the way of the world. That you might know where you should go. And you might say, but I don't know what happens next. You don't need to know what happens next. You need to do the next right thing. You need to take the next right step. And you need to make the right plans with the right purposes, with the right aims, with the right desires, with the right motives, with the right intentions to do the right thing in the right way for the right reason. And when you've done that, you will find that the next step is one in which God's word is a light to your feet and a lamp to your path. There may have been times when you have not known what is the most right thing. 
There may have been seasons when you have cried out to God, O Lord, show me your way. And here you sit this morning, favoured by God. Has he not guided you? Has he not shown you where you should go or carried you there when you could not see the way and could not walk it in your own strength? I've undertaken not to preach for too long. But I'm just giving you a flavour. You could go on, you could read the whole scripture. You could read the the whole letter to the Romans and you could be saying there is grace the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and there's the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and there's the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ it's all the grace you might ever wish all the grace you will ever need all the grace you could ever desire and it is his to bestow found in him and flowing to you through him And that's what Paul wishes upon the Romans, upon the Corinthians, upon the Philippians, upon the Thessalonians, and by extension the Galatians, Timothy, Philemon, whoever else it may be. Is that the blessing that we desire? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now who are the beneficiaries then of this grace? Who receives such a gift? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Every child of God receives and enjoys the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, there is enough grace in Christ. Enough of this mercy and goodness and blessing from God toward us for the life and labour of every single Christian in this room, all those who are absent from us, and any who God will bring in among us. There is grace for the pastors and the deacons of this congregation. Grace to enable us to do our work diligently, well and fruitfully. Grace to make me a a better preacher. Grace to make me a more courageous counsellor, a more compassionate encourager, a more understanding under-shepherd. Grace to enable the deacons to see the work that needs to be done and to do that work and to delegate it appropriately and to encourage others to participate. There's grace for our Sunday school teachers to make them weepers over the children in their classes to make them effective teachers of the truth as it is in Jesus Christ. You know what? There may even be grace for some of you to become the next Sunday school teachers, something that some of you might consider. How may I serve to help share this load? There's grace for us to be more effective evangelists, grace that we might speak with courage to people who, humanly speaking, terrify us. Grace to go to people who, humanly speaking, we don't really expect to see much of. Grace to go to people who are grieving and to point them to Jesus Christ and the Spirit as the comforter of their souls. Grace to go to those who are angry and to point them to him in whom there is peace with God. Grace for wisdom to speak words that are entreating and thoughtful and wise and appropriate. Grace to speak words that are cutting and direct and blunt and honest. 
about the hell that men must flee and the heaven that sinners like us might receive through grace in Jesus Christ. There's grace for you and me to be encouragers and exhorters, to draw alongside one another, to stir one another up to love and good works. Grace to give us that insight and that understanding so that rather than indulging ourselves and others, we assist one another, we help one another. But when there's no strength left, then we can sit down with one another, lift one another up, carry one another along. When you're tempted to draw back, when you're tempted to give up, when you're tempted to to just turn your back upon everything, there's grace from Christ Jesus to help us to help you and to help you to be helped, to open your ears to those things, not to excuse yourself, not to make evasions. There's grace for us to be givers and hospitalers. Couldn't think of it as those who are hospitable. Grace for you to open your hearts, your hands and your homes. Grace to make us generous with everything that God has generously given to us. There's grace for you who are scholars. Grace for you who are at school or at university or going to school or university. Who are going to go into environments where you may find particular challenges or particular opportunities. Seasons of distinct testing and seasons of distinct blessing. Grace so that you can stand as one of God's young men or women in that context without crumbling, without buying into the world's empty or wicked notions. Grace to stand as a burning and shining light, even if everyone else is flooding you with a a great wave of woke nonsense. There's grace for you who are workers Grace for you to act diligently and with integrity and honestly. Grace for us to do a solid day's work. Grace for us to do what the fourth commandment commands us to do. Six days you shall labour and do all your work. Grace to stop us complaining that we have a job. I don't complain I have a job. Or you complain every Monday morning that you've got to go to your job. That sounds a lot like complaining about your job. My friend says, grace for us to go and glorify God in whatever office or home or street or factory or whatever it may be to serve God there. There's grace for those of us who are poor in the things of this world. Grace for us to thank God for what we have. Grace for us to to use what we've got for the glory and honour of his name. There's grace for us who are wealthier Grace not to become arrogant. Grace not to become indulgent. Grace not to abuse the wealth that God has given to us. There's grace for those of us who are healthy, who have a measure of physical strength, of of bodily vigour, to use that wisely and well for as long as God grants it to us. Because in a year's time, some of you are going to be stronger and healthier than you are now, especially those of you who are younger. You're growing up into your your manhood and your womanhood. For the rest of us, we're going to be weaker and feebler because time is passing. And there's grace for us 
with the health that we have. Not to boast in it, not to presume upon it, but to use it well. And there's grace for us in our sickness. Those of us who are suffering with more chronic afflictions. Grace not to be complainers. Grace not to become bitter. Grace not to become ungrateful. Grace to show grace in the midst of our trials and struggles. Grace to glorify God even in the midst of our afflictions. Grace to discern the lessons that God would have us learn. Grace to serve others in our distresses. There are people who've seen more fruit from their witness on their sickbed than they ever saw in their life's walk. And people have come to them and they've heard their testimony of God's goodness, God's kindness, God's grace, God's favour. Grace to sustain you. Grace to hold you up when either the chronic affliction becomes worse or that acute trouble comes in upon you. Those seasons in the coming year where you or I might be gripped with a pain so deep and so piercing that we can barely think. When we cannot speak except through gritted teeth. Is there grace for us then? Grace not to curse God and die, as Job's wife recommended that he should do? Is there grace for you in your joys? Grace for you in your griefs? All of us, all your duties, all your difficulties, all your delights, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all for all your life. Why? Because we all need it. Hands up if you've outgrown God's grace in the last year. Hands up if you no longer need to rely upon the Lord Jesus Christ. What a foolish thing that would be to claim. What an insane thing to boast that I no longer rely upon the grace of Jesus Christ. I don't move beyond it. In fact, I become more appreciative of it, don't you? As you see more and more of your weakness, more and more of your need, as you learn yourself more, you don't think of yourself more highly. You understand just how dependent you are upon the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ as a sinner, as a creature. Grace to you all, because all receive it. My friend, if you are a Christian, you have the grace of your Lord Jesus Christ. He will not withhold it from any of his people. He will dispense it with perfect wisdom, with absolute love, and with a profound purpose. But there is not a Christian here or anywhere on this earth who would ever need to say, I have not found grace in him. I have not received the grace that I need. He has given himself to you. If he can call himself, if you can call him our Lord Jesus Christ, then do you think he will withhold anything that you truly need? Do you think he'll abandon you in your hour of distress? Do you think you'll ever reach a point so high where Christ will say, well, you can finish this off by yourself, or ever come to depths so low that he will say, I'm sorry, I can't help you anymore? No, my friends, if we are Christians, we will receive the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll all receive it because I hope we all desire it. I hope you want this for yourself, not selfishly, but genuinely. Lord, I want this grace. 
I want the grace of my Lord Jesus Christ. I want the fruits of his living and dying and rising and reigning and interceding. I want the, the blessings that I see in his loving and his giving and his forgiving, his sustaining, his equipping, his guiding. I want it for myself and I want it for my brothers and sisters because we all rely upon it. Don't sell yourself short this year. Don't hold back this year. Don't drop out this year. Don't give up this year. Everything that you will need to serve Christ, Christ himself provides. Don't say about any sin, this is just the way I am. You'll just have to put up with it. This is the way God has made me. This is the way I've been all my life. My friends, brothers and sisters, do you believe that the grace that is in Jesus Christ is enough for you to walk in righteousness before God? That if there's any pattern of anger, that you don't have to be an angry man or woman. That if you're marked by impatience, that this could be the year where you grow in the grace of humble patience and faithful waiting. That if you battle against sinful lusts, perhaps particularly sinful sexual desires, that Christ in his mercy can take away those things from your soul. That if you're gripped by greed, if all you want is the, the, the power and the, the money and the things that this world has to offer, that Christ can detach your heart with its ugly hooks in the world's pleasures and treasures so that you can live for the glory which is to come. My friends, there's hope here, isn't there? Hope that you can be something other than you now are. Hope that you can indeed, as Peter says, grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. When the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is with us all, things are going to change among us. But only through God's grace in Christ. See, some of you don't have this expectation. Some of you are going to enter into this year without this grace to enjoy. You'll have to face at least some of the same challenges and difficulties. Some of them you won't. You won't really know a battle against sin. You haven't got a battle to fight. You're quite happy in your sin. Some of you won't strive against that angry spirit. Some of you boys and girls perhaps might not be bothered about the rebellious attitude. You might be perfectly content in your thanklessness, perfectly settled in your sinful habits and patterns. You need to come to Jesus Christ for his grace. You need to be saved from your sins because without Jesus Christ, you will face this life and your death utterly exposed to the wrath of a holy God. How are you going to make it through the next year without Jesus Christ to care for you, to love you, to guide you and to guard you. 
Or you might say, well, all things go on the way they always have. And yes, they do. You might say that uh, I, I got through the last year. Are you closer to heaven? Are you happier in your soul? Do you have any more peace or joy or delight or hope than you did a day ago, let alone a year ago? Or is the future as much a future of unremitting gloom and distress? Is the year to come just full of fears and horrors? You don't know what will happen and you don't know when it happens, how you'll get through it, but you trust that you'll muddle through somehow. You're going to muddle through death? You're going to make your own way through hell? I plead with you this morning. Do not go a step further into this year. Do not go a minute longer into this year without the Christ of grace. You cannot stand. You cannot enjoy God apart from Jesus Christ. You are now under his wrath and curse and you must remain so unless and until you come to trust in Christ Jesus. And when you trust him for salvation, that's the first glorious taste of the grace that is in and from and through and with him that will be yours every moment of your life from now on, which will shine perhaps more brightly than it's ever shone before as you come toward the end of that life. Grace which will usher you into the world which is to come. God's grace in Christ which secures your portion in eternity. Why am I making this point? Because not everybody here is enjoying the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to. I want you to come to him and I want you to enjoy what is found in him. Life and freedom and peace and eternal happiness. Briefly then, what are the benefits expected? What difference does it make when the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is with us all? What do you anticipate if God answers this prayer in any measure? Communion with God. That you will enjoy walking with him. That he will kiss you with the kisses of his mouth. Assurance of salvation. That you can go through this year confident that you are his and that he is yours. That you'll be able to say with the apostle, I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him until that day. That you do not need to be racked with questions and doubts and fears. Holiness of life. That you will become more like Jesus Christ when his grace is with you in this way. An appetite for prayer privately and publicly, that we will be praying always, praying without ceasing, that in our private devotions, in our family worship, in our comings and goings in the world, we will be often sending up those prayers and praises and petitions to the God of our salvation, that there'll be those seasons of more intense and determined wrestling with God, that the prayer meetings of this congregation, whether the regular ones or the occasional ones, will be populated 
by men and women whose hearts are primed to seek the God of heaven. And that when man after man stands up to seek God's face on our behalf, we'll be there adding our amen. And we'll be doing so with expectation and with hope. And if we genuinely cannot make it, then we'll be setting aside perhaps that same season that we might pray together as a congregation. Will give us zeal in service. Anybody ever said of you, zeal for God's house has eaten him or her up? Wouldn't that be a great testimony to have? See how that man, that woman, that boy, that girl burns for Jesus Christ. See their love. See their vigor. See their energy. It will give us delight in duty. My friends, when God enlarges our hearts, we run the way of his commandments. Too often I find in myself, and I suspect it's the same for you, that our duties are drudgeries. We drag our feet. That when those next opportunities come, some, sometimes it's a fresh one. Oh, really? Or it's the same one over again. Here we go again. My friends, when the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is with us all, the opportunity will come. Really? I get to do this for my saviour? Here it comes again. I get to do this on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday or, or Sunday by Sunday. And this is no small thing. Here is my service for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Peace in trials. They will come because we still live in this fallen world. But my friends, when the trials and distresses come, and as we wrestle with God in prayer, as we cast ourselves upon him, we will attain to a deep, settled peace. God is in heaven. My Father reigns. My Christ is enthroned. The Holy Spirit is at work. And though these things may come upon me, they cannot separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, my Lord love among the saints when the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is with us all won't we love one another more not just put up with one another for longer but genuinely delight in each other look forward to being with each other be eager to receive from one another what we have to offer to each other be very ready to serve each other to have the same mind which was in Christ Jesus esteeming others more highly than ourselves. My friends, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ can make us true servants. Competing. Who gets their hands on the bowl and the towel first to wash one another's feet? And it will give us vigour in testimony. Don't you want to burn brightly for the Lord Christ? Don't you want to be someone who is God's means of bringing someone into the kingdom this year don't you want to be the person who speaks teaches preaches witnesses sends a note sends a letter that you'll be able to look back in a few months time and say Lord God these are the fruits of my labours these are the sinners in whose lives you've made me effective 
And yes, there were times when I was fearful, times when I drew back, times when I didn't know what to say. But Lord, you gave me grace and you gave me courage and you helped me to be persistent. And here is the blessed fruit of it. My friend, if we had greater grace, not that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ can be any greater in itself, but that we could know more of it, know it in greater measure, in greater abundance. Don't you think it would transform you? I think it would change me. I don't think I could be the same man tomorrow as I were today if, if Christ is showing grace toward me. And that's why you, Christian, will not be tomorrow what you are today. If the grace of God is with us, you will be closer to heaven. Not just a day nearer home, but a step higher up. Wouldn't it transform us congregationally? Wouldn't we be a different church if we were seeing more of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ with us all? Do we have it now? Yes. Paul's not saying to these Romans, I just wish you could have some grace from Jesus Christ and maybe somewhere down the line that will happen. No, he's saying, this is what you have. That's why we said you could read the whole letters. There is his grace. There is his grace. There is his grace. There is his grace. Oh, and how are you going to finish this, Paul? Twice. Twice I will cry to God. Twice I will make this my heartfelt prayer. Twice I will seek and, and offer and hope for and desire and plead with God on your behalf that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ would be with you all. Now, can you add your amen to that petition? Think about it carefully. Is there a member of this congregation from whom you'd want to hold that back? Grace be with you all apart from her. See, only love will really pray this prayer. Can we say that, brothers and sisters, with regard to each and every one of us? That I want the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to be with us all. And perhaps if there is somebody who I find more difficult, perhaps if there is somebody with whom there have been tensions, perhaps if there is somebody who I don't really know so well, perhaps if there's somebody that I, I used to be closer to, but I, I, I'm, I don't have the same relationship as once I did, perhaps for them I desire most of all that the grace of Jesus Christ would be with him, with her, and with them, that they might be blessed, that they might be lifted up, my friends, if you can't say that about this whole congregation, then there's something wrong with our hearts this morning. And we ought to ask God for grace to love one another more and to pray this more earnestly. Will you come to the Lord's table with this expectation, Christian? You know what we call this, don't you? It's a means of grace. It's one of the ways in which God in his mercy pours out his favour in Christ Jesus upon us. It is a table of communion. It is a place where we feed upon Jesus Christ. It is a feast along the way. It is the heavenly wine. It is the living bread by which our souls will be sustained. We've heard the word of God. You've been fed. 
You'll come to the bread and wine and your soul will be made rich as you contemplate the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And will you commit then to pray like this? To seek this true benediction? Will you seek to enter into the praying Sunday by Sunday? Will you pray in your families the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with us all? Will you be there if you can tomorrow evening? Will you strive to be there Wednesday after Wednesday after Wednesday? Because there is grace in Christ. And because God gives it eagerly, readily, freely, willingly, abundantly. Because when we have that grace and we have it more and more, we taste it more and more often, then these are the blessings that we expect. And this is the glory that our God gets. Amen.